you spoke about the the conditioned mental narrative and how for many that this can interrupt this state of stillness and and uh, people that are first discovering this state of stillness can become quite um, disheartened um, uh, frustrated agitated um, feeling like they're not really getting it because this mental narrative continues to um, intrude and uh, this is or I think it's probably a, a time to be very gentle with yourself and and simply uh, see what is taking place as um, not of your making and but also um, smiling at the creative power of that of that self narrative and just recognizing it for what it is but I think most importantly you know through our conversations this is one of the things you've always said to me is you don't have to do anything when that arises I think the more that you attend to that the more it's going to pull you out of that state the more that you can just acknowledge that it's that it's there smile at it and see that it is not you but simply conditioning with regular practice by putting that into context you can find yourself quite naturally and easily just like we do at night when we uh, you know slip off to sleep without recognizing when we'll actually find that we can suddenly find ourselves slipping back into that deep state of stillness it's very very important that on this path to to recognize that this is going to come up it's not just going to be an easy effortless path but to stay with it more than anything yes and um, I'm reminded of uh, Gary Weber uh, who I've spoken of before who who will say one thing and that is to persist to stay and persist until ease uh, and stillness and this um, reduction or elimination of mental blah-blah, which are the thoughts that just churn through the mind constantly, are, are still. And uh, I'm also reminded of something that uh, uh, Rich Doyle um, um, mentioned, uh, a guy that, that has worked with Gary um, for quite some time. And he said, imagine that you're in a share house uh, so you, a bunch of you uh, sharing a house together. And uh, down in the, uh, in the lounge room, uh, there's a television on, big widescreen TV with, you know, lots of speakers around it. And, it. and it's on all day and all night, and it's turned to max volume. And uh, in front of it's a couch, and, and everyone spends all their time just, just staring at the television on it, max volume. And it's just this, this noise and this repetitive um, uh, stuff coming at you. And at one point someone says, hang on a minute, I think there's a button here where I can turn this off. Everyone on the couch goes, come on, that's ridiculous. And where will we be if we turn this off? And this person gets up and they turn it off. And there's just this complete stillness and quiet. And everyone's still there, but suddenly 
there is the space to be in a way that they've never been before. And that, and that is that is the experience of, of reducing or turning off the mental narrative. And I'm reminded of a of a uh, a story that uh, one of my uh, coaching clients uh, told me, which helped her to slip into a state of stillness. Um, which wasn't of her making, and that was that um, the power or the electricity went out. And what they needed to do rather than use torches is um, her and her husband uh, lit candles. And they found that they were actually, um, they'd cooked dinner just before the power had gone out, and they were eating uh, eating dinner with, um, with simply just a candle light. And there was little noise aside from the rain outside and the storm which had caused the power outage in the first place. And she spoke about the fact that suddenly the conversation had changed as a result of, of, of that situation, but she also said that just as a result of those candles and 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 that darkness and stillness that came as a result of that. A deepening took place in, in both of their experiences that night. Once everything else was shut off and, and, and turned down and she commented on just how restorative that two to three hours was that the, that the power is out. When all the power came back on, and this, she told me this story after a few days, when she recounted the story to me, there was a sense of wanting to go back to that space. It was, it was such a, a great place to be. It was so novel and unique, and yet um, it was filled with such um, positive memories and, and, and experiences. So when we go back to, to context, uh, there was a creative event that happened uh, for her which she didn't engineer, and yet she found, had a profound sense of, of creating a, a, new way of, a new way of being, which is very different to what uh, modern society is, is now um, giving us. Now that's a great story that goes, again, directly to this idea of context shifting us. And, and I'd like to be slightly more provocative again and say that what we have here um, in every moment of our, of our experience is we are not separate individuals which uh, find ourselves in a, in a context but we are completely interrelated. We're interrelated with our environment uh, at a fundamental level of, of oxygen, respiration. Uh, we cannot be 
isolated from this particular space we find ourselves in. It's almost, like, it's almost the notion of independence is an illusion, isn't it? Complete illusion. And, and in relation to your story, uh, you have two people who experience um, things that are completely interrelated with the power outage, the candles, but also their experience of, of being in space where there's not the sense of being separate in space but, but sharing something that is completely borderless and non-individuated. And I think this is something that is incredibly helpful in progressing on this deepening and opening to stillness. And that is to, to experiment again with not seeing yourself as trapped within a body, but seeing yourself within a context and within a process that is encompassing everything from everything that you may see in your physical environment, the, the so-called individual others that are there. It's quite possible to experience this as not a series of separate objects, but as a continuous and borderless process. One way of, of experiencing this right now is to consider the point at which your body meets whatever it is resting on, if it is sitting in a chair, if it is lying down. If you can place your attention on the sensation of the chair or the bed and the bottom of your back or your legs, wherever that meets the, the other object, and see if you can find a hard border there or see rather that it is simply a sensation and that the idea of borders and edges and spaces are something that we simply grow up thinking exists, exists somewhere out there. Whereas our experience is simply one of sensation, sound, visual representation, color, and we're quite happily navigating through this space. We don't have to worry that suddenly we'll be bumping into things. Again, quite naturally, our special power allows us to, to navigate simply and clearly through the world. And without a great deal of prementation or anticipation or mental narrative, our navigation at all levels becomes clear. As you were talking then, I was just absorbing that all in. Um, found myself merging to the chair, merging into everything that was. And, and I remember uh, uh, Scott Peck, Road Less Travel, talking about this um, early on, that uh, an infant very early on is merged um, with the world 
doesn't really feel that individual sense of self. Um, that comes, um, you know, around a year to, to two years of age, but when they're first out, there's not that sense of, I'm a, I'm a separate self. Much of our suffering comes from this very uh, belief or sense that we are separate and individuated. And that when we can realise, and I think people get this experience for brief moments, some way they might not get it at all. Um, you know, that's why a lot of people like to really immerse themselves um, at a retreats or meditation. They'll feel this uh, stillness, which is fantastic for a really long period of time, and then they get back into their lives and they go back to the old belief systems. Suffering comes back because they're, you know, they fall into that trap that I'm an individual self. And yet, this is what we're talking about. Context is, and and with context, it's simply just reminding ourselves of what the truth is. Yes, it, 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 it's really understanding that our experience is not some sort of malevolent force that has, um, that's out to hoodwink us and give us a poor, a poor deal. It's simply uh, how things have evolved, how we find ourselves, and um, at a functional level, we've discussed society itself, um, appears uh, um, in the form that it does in order to um, uh, control and, and, and modulate some of the more extreme responses and impulses that, that individuals might feel. There, there are processes, social conventions and, uh, and indeed laws and, uh, and, and, and police forces and judges and courts that are designed to keep things running uh, along within parameters that uh, that benefit the collective. So the why we feel the way that we, we do in terms of being being separate and, and and in receipt of a lot of conditioned behavior is is simply an inheritance of that. Um, but it's not the only way of seeing things. And it also um, if you think about it that, that what we're talking about as being not embodied in, in, a, in a physical hard form of, of, of flesh and bone, but to be already released in, in, in this stream of, of process and, and being, it means that you are no longer in competitive relationship with the so-called other. You're no longer trying to game the system and get something that you feel you need. You're no longer requiring um, this endless uh, um, number of objects and sensations to make you feel um, that you no longer are lacking something. One of the, the, the great markers of, of this journey is discovering that um, you lack nothing. One of the questions you can ask always to check in is right in this moment, what do I need to add or subtract for it to be right? And when you can answer that question by saying utterly nothing, you'll know that this is in fact 
a state of deep, relaxed, uncontracted being. had a very interesting experience uh, waking up this morning um, after having a very, very enjoyable day. It was quite a mundane day, and yet every aspect of the day, as mundane as it was, was filled with ease um, and effortlessness, and it was as if time didn't exist. It was a wonderful state to be in. And upon waking this morning, that ease had suddenly disappeared and there was just a sense of agitation and rather than doing anything about this I I posed the question where on earth is where on earth is this coming from and the agitation was I don't want to experience this I want to experience what I felt yesterday I was in fact expecting that I would wake up and that I'd have that same sense of ease but no there was a there was a, a sense of agitation and, and part of the agitation was that by moving into the spiritual path, the way that you were in the world previously, there is a, a part of if what we call ego or um, what you have attained previously, you're suddenly letting go of. You're letting go of your place in the world. And as you do that, there's that sense of... Um, you know, is a sense of you're, you're stepping over the edge and there's a part of you that says, no, no, we don't want you to do this. It's too risky. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really great uh, description of something that is very readily felt and breaking it down into perhaps two or three different sections. The first is this acknowledgement that uh, yesterday was, was full of ease and it was just a, a lovely state and you wanted that to, to carry on and you had a high contrast moment when you wake up and that state's been replaced by an agitated state and a, a state that uh, goes from being agitated to even questioning what you're doing and uh, and what's all this 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 the podcasts and ease and and stuff away from your professional uh, activity yeah and um there's also that question when you experience these and then you experience that agitation uh you start to question am i deceiving myself because if i really have got this i'll be experiencing ease at all points in time and then really questioning, well, hang on a second, am I really on the path or am I really deceiving myself? Now, I don't see this as, uh, as bad or wrong in any way. I think, I think as, as Gary Webber has pointed out, um, we can, the person we can most easily deceive is ourselves. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first thing I'd say is that uh, what this throws up is a sort of paradox, but it's fortunately not the paradox it first appears to be. And that is that um, we're so used to experiencing life as states, objects and sensations, 
all of which by their very nature are impermanent, that we start to preference certain states over others and we develop aver aversions to, um, to certain states. The first thing that happens if, if we take ourselves to be the state is that we either want to retain it if it feels good uh, or we want to push it away if it feels bad. What we rarely do is look at the ground in which that state arises. So we look back from the object to whoever or whatever is having that state. And that, that may seem an odd or unusual or impossible thing to do, but it's actually quite easy insofar as that subject is present when the state isn't, is present between the thoughts and the sensations. It is that continuity that we feel we are So it's, it's actually very available, in fact, more available than any state might be, to look back into. And as we look back to it, we see that it has no qualities, it has no form. We could call it space or spacious in the sense that it's the space in which things arise in. And this is the the real key to that question you have about, am I deceiving myself? You know, can this last? Um, or am I forever condemned to having these peak experiences and, and simply having them pass? What we're talking about here is unconditioned, uncaused. It's always present. It's the background in which everything else arises. So the, the reason that you can't deceive yourself is that it's not actually a state, but the paradox comes in, in this idea that in order to work out whether I'm making any progress here or whether I'm really, I'm really experiencing something that is genuine versus some kind of imaginary spiritual trip, uh, is how I feel at any given point. So when I'm feeling in ease, um, I'm thinking, I think this is it. I mean, and, and I hope it can continue. But that is actually not the marker itself. That again is another state or another object. So the paradox is that we're so used to going to how we feel and then determining how or what we are, um, rather than always looking at whatever arises on stage as simply a passing state or a passing actor, but looking at the stage or looking back at the subject itself. And it's an interesting point because we base a lot of our decisions in life based on those feeling states, don't we? Well, I think we think we do. Uh, and, and again, I think it's always incredibly sobering, funny, uh, to look at whether we're basing decisions or making decisions on, on, 
on the ground that we think we are. I would argue that our behaviours arise conditioned by a whole bunch of stuff that we don't actually see. We sometimes can, sometimes can see it if we look for it, but more often than not, if we find ourselves in a situation, uh, let's say with another person, we're having a discussion or perhaps we're even having a heated discussion or an argument, if we are present enough and aware enough, we can see that much of how we are interacting is not addressing the specific encounter or uh, argument. It's actually conditioned by a whole bunch of other stuff that might be previous um, issues we've had in the relationship with that person. It might be stuff that's happened in our day or even in our life. But th this is actually the, the where these feeling states are arising from and it's also what is guiding, ultimately guiding behaviour and decisions. So I, I'm suggesting that, that this, this is, we are engaged in a very impure, um, heavily conditioned uh, process that we are largely unaware of. And so when we, when we talk about that third aspect uh, that, that you mentioned about sort of losing your way or, 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 or it being frightening that you may lose things that, that you've acquired in life, um, not simply materially, but also in terms of how you see yourself. Um, a lot of, the, a lot of the, the, the map that you've built that seems to be solid is actually conditioned by so much that is off the map that if you have a bit of a look, you'll start to wonder whether the map is worthwhile in any way, shape or form. It's, it's simply um, this kind of chaotic process that gives rise to behaviours that then we tell stories about to take out the bizarre aspects and the stories themselves give us a sense and rationality to something that really isn't present in a great degree I mean, I, I actually, I, I'm actually surprised things work on a day-to-day -day basis as well as they do, um, because I think a, a small level of, of, of introspection can tell us that where stuff comes from that drives behaviour is quite unsophisticated, primal and impulsive. And this doubting uh, that, that can come up or this, this questioning uh, could, could be a result of, of the fact of the analogy of the person hasn't gone all in. They haven't put all their, their chips on the table and it's, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that poker analogy and uh, I'm just reminded now the, the movie uh, Casino Royale, James Bond movie, where um, everyone's got a hand and there's James Bond and, and the other character decide that they're going to put all their chips in. And they move all their chips in and they would only move their chips in if they were certain or there was a really good percentage that they were going to be able to win. 
this hand and yet um, and oftentimes there can only be one winner even if it's somebody certain it could be that another trump card comes in which gives that person uh, the chance to you know winner takes all and yet when we go down this path we can't be certain of anything can we we, we are essentially entering into the abyss well, I think we're already in the abyss, um, but actually the abyss is not what we think it is. And um, I think this idea of, of making this a priority, this investigation and this, this uh, discovery and, and cultivation of, um, of practices of self-inquiry, of discovering who we are, of discovering our true nature, I think one of the reasons we have to go all in is because our daily experience is, if we use the poker analogy in Casino Royale, sometimes we're at the table, sometimes we're in the bathroom, sometimes we're at the shop. We're all over the place in our day. And if you're listening to the podcast now, you're present for this engagement, but in half an hour's time, you'll be somewhere else. And uh, this may no longer have much salience. You're no longer thinking about it. So in order to make progress, you have to engage with this as the most important feature of your day as often as you can attend to it. And I think this brings up um, the idea of... Um, of, of ways in here, yeah. of, of ports of entry uh, that, again, there are a number that can sort of take you all the way and, and uh, some will have an attractional preference for, for one path over another and sometimes we may find ourselves go a certain distance on one path and then something else will, will come up and be, be more appealing. Um, sometimes we do this with, uh, with teachers. We might find ourselves um, attracted to a particular message given by a teacher and then over time we may find that uh, we move somewhere else. You know, our, our, our sense of direction changes. 